good to see you out this morning. And this is the week after Easter. And so always uh, last week, really full in here. And this week, we come down a little bit. Uh, but we are excited to have you today. And this is a great topic to get into this morning in our series, Necessary Things. Because Jesus defeated death, those of us who believe are promised a future resurrection ourselves. And we look forward to what Paul told Titus is called the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Heaven is always a topic that believers like to discuss. Uh, a Sunday school teacher was talking to the kids in his class about heaven. And he said, uh, if I sold my house and my car and I had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids shouted, no! And then he said, if I cleaned the church every day and I mowed the yard and I kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? And again, they shouted, no. Well, then he said, if I was kind to animals and if I gave candy to all the children and I loved my wife, would that get me into heaven? And one more time, they all shouted, no. Well, he, he started to think that maybe these kids were more theologically sophisticated than he'd given them credit for. And so he asked a big question, uh, how can I get to heaven? Well, this five-year-old boy in the back had been waiting for his moment, and he shot up his hand and shouted out the answer, you got to be dead. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think that's, uh, that's a for certain thing. Uh, you have to die in Christ uh, to be resurrected to life. And we're going to talk about what all that means this morning. God has told us the way to get to heaven. It's only through Jesus. And he's told us about some things uh, that relate to heaven, even though there are still a lot of questions. And we're going to talk about some of the questions today. Uh, I love to read books on heaven. A.M. Hunter wrote a, a great book on heaven. He told the story of a dying man uh, who asked his Christian doctor to tell him something about the place where he was going. And the doctor, you know, his specialty is medicine, but he kind of fumbled for a reply. And, and then he heard a scratching at his door. And so he had this answer. He said to the patient, do you hear that? Uh, it's my dog. I left him downstairs, but he's grown impatient and he's come up because he hears my voice. Uh, he doesn't know what's inside the door, but he knows that I'm here. He said, isn't it the same with you? You don't know what lies beyond the door, but you know your master's there. And I think that's sort of what heaven's like. We don't know everything about it, but we know Jesus is there. And we know that he died and rose again for us, and we sure do want to see him. He's the reason why the hope of heaven is such a wonderful proposition. Uh, after all, his second coming is what leads us to the events connected with eternal life. Uh, one lovely night, a moonlit night, a grandfather and his small granddaughter went for a walk. And the stars were magnificent. And as the grandfather walked, he named individual stars and constellations. And the granddaughter exclaimed, uh, Grandpa, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think how wonderful the top side must be. And, uh, you know, it is going to be 
so wonderful that we can't even begin to understand or describe it or imagine it. Now, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bible or if you have your phone app, uh, get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I hope everybody will look on as we read there this morning. I remind you that next Sunday is the last Sunday in our Necessary Things series uh, here in church. Small groups have a couple extra weeks to finish that up. Uh, but we are going to be covering an immensely important doctrine next Sunday, the inspiration of the scriptures. How did we get the Bible, and why can we trust its reliability? And so don't miss next Sunday, then Mother's Day, of course, only two weeks away. Uh, back in November at our missions banquet, we introduced a couple of mission trip opportunities. And we actually have a team of, of 10 uh, <clears throat> teenagers and adults headed to the Dominican Republic uh, just over a month in beginning of June. And that team has already been finalized. If you wanted to do that, you'll have to look to the next opportunity. Uh, but there's an incredible mission that you can still be part of. Uh, we still need a few more people to be on a team that's going to Ukraine in October. The dates are October 18th through 27th, and it's going to be a mission in the west city of Chernovitsky. Uh, the team is going to be helping a, a special ministry called E-Way. And what E-Way does is they invite uh, young adults and adults to come in and learn English as a second language, and they teach them how to know English in the Bible. And then they start churches that way. And so we get to go to their fall camp and help them with that. And if you know English and you're able-bodied enough to make the trip, you can go. And E-Way has really helped us with keeping uh, the costs low. In fact, the cost of the whole trip on the ground once you land is less than $600, uh, plus your plane ticket. So it's a really good price. And if you have questions about that, let me know. We'd love to add a few more people to that team. First Thessalonians 4, verse number 13. Now this is the verse that everybody puts up on the refrigerator, at least the first part of it. But I would not have you to be ignorant. Right? How many of you can think of somebody you could apply that verse to? All right, you shouldn't be thinking that way at church. That's not good. Can't believe you did that. Uh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, sometimes we get into the events and the timelines uh, of the future events, the end times, that require in-depth Bible study. And we're not going to do that today. Today we're going to break down this one passage uh, on the second coming of Christ. So let's just see uh, word for word, phrase for phrase, what God wants us to know about his second coming from this passage. And I'll set it up for you a little bit. 
Paul was writing to a Christian church in the city of Thessalonica. And uh, this was his first letter uh, to be written to a church that made its way into the New Testament. So the Pauline epistles in Scripture are not chronological, okay? Uh, Even though Romans is the first one, uh, as you look at the Bible, it wasn't the first one written. 1 Thessalonians was the first one written. So there's your little uh, Jeopardy moment for the, do they do that? Do they have the category Thessalonians in Jeopardy? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, uh, Paul's writing to this church in Thessalonica. How many of you know what Jeopardy is? Okay, and just just check it. Uh, It's still, isn't Jeopardy still a thing? All right, so anyway, uh, it's his first letter that he wrote to a church, and he wrote it about 20 years after the resurrection. Now, by this point, churches had sprung up all over the Middle East, uh, but there was very little scriptural instruction for them to use. Uh, In fact, some of the Gospels hadn't even been written yet. And so they followed the teachings of Jesus and the disciples that were verbally passed down to them. And everything, of course, was built on the foundation of Jesus rising from the tomb. That's what the basis for Christianity was. But the believers had questions, especially the believers who had grown up in pagan cities and pagan environments. And really, there have been worldwide questions about what happens after death since, well, since there's been death. Okay? Ever since there's been death, people wonder what happens after you die. And so Paul was answering some of their issues in his letter. And we get to put on our first century sandals this morning and take a walk with them through this passage. And so this is going to be fun, and I hope you'll do it with us. The notes are in your bulletin. We're going to see it in four parts. And we start with this phrase, asleep in Jesus. Asleep in Jesus. So here were these new Christian converts, and they're deeply concerned that their believing friends and loved ones who had recently died would be missing out on the second coming of Christ. Uh, Because of their misunderstanding of the resurrection and the end times, which really is shared by a great majority of people in every generation, they thought that if you died before Jesus came back, you missed out on eternal life. Right? Uh, If you missed out, if you died before Jesus died, you missed out on the whole thing. You didn't get to do it. And uh, it's interesting that they thought that because uh, it's sort of, if you don't understand the difference between body and soul, it sort of makes sense. Like, you're gone, you don't get to do it. Uh, Remember years and years ago, uh, we, uh, Amy and I, started a church in the north end of Boise, and uh, this family started coming to church, and yeah, we moved down into Garden City, and uh, they started coming there. And they had a couple kids, and their little boy was turning one. And so they asked us to come to his birthday party. And uh, we found out where it was. It was some clubhouse uh, over in Meridian somewhere. And so we went in and got ready for the birthday party. And it was in the afternoon. And if you ever have a birthday party for a one-year-old, here's a tip. Don't do it in the middle of the afternoon. Okay, because what do one-year-olds do in the middle of the afternoon? They go to sleep, right? Uh, so anyway, they set this kid up, and uh, they had him all dressed up, and he's ready. And they took pictures, and, and you could just see his eyes just, you know. And then they put the cake out, like the one-year-old cake where he's going to get to eat it himself. Well, as soon as they set it on the high chair, his head went down <laughs> into the cake. He face-planted in his own cake. 
And they actually had to pull him up by the hair so he wouldn't suffocate uh, in his own cake. So here's the thing, though. He missed out on his own party. Right? Have you ever missed out on your own party before? Have any of you ever missed out on a failed surprise party attempt? Right? Has this ever happened to you? Uh, it, it's interesting to think about. Like, uh, I planned a big surprise party for my wife's, I'm not going to say which birthday, this was a while back, um, and that would tell you her age, but it was a while back. And, and so we came home on a Sunday night after church, and uh, I had had all these people uh, park in the neighborhood behind, and I gave one of them the garage code, and they, there were like 120 people in our house. And, and so we got done with church. And I said, we got to get home. We got to get home. My wife said, why can't we go to Dairy Queen tonight? Well, uh, I don't know. Well, we like to go to Dairy Queen on Sunday night after church. We should take the kids to Dairy Queen. No, no, let's just go home tonight. We don't have anything to eat at home. Well, I, I could make something. I'd make some scrambled eggs or something, and we'll, we'll be fine. Well, I think we should go to Dairy Queen. And back and forth. And I'm trying to think, how in the world am I going to get her to the house for her surprise party. All these people are cramped in our house in the dark, ready to yell. And by the second, they're getting madder at me because I'm the one who's supposed to deliver the goods. And so finally, I don't know, remember how I did it, but I got her to go in the house and she walked in the garage door and the house exploded with noise. But um, I've often thought about what if she had missed her own surprise party? Wouldn't that have been horrible? Uh, so the first century believers thought if their loved ones died, that they missed the whole party. They never got to be a part of eternal life and the second coming. And they didn't grasp this difference between body and soul. And frankly, there are a lot of people who don't really understand or care to understand that connection. Uh, when you and I are born, we are born with bodies and souls. Our bodies are short-term, our souls are long-term. And your soul is the real you. Your soul is the part of you that will spend eternity somewhere forever, either with God or apart from God. Uh, so often, though, we live like this body and this earth and this life is all there is. Even Christians do it. Uh, a story is told about a man who found out it was his time to go to heaven. And by the way, I told this story in first service, and it was a complete dud. So I need you guys to work with me, okay? Even if you don't like the story at the end, I really want you to laugh out loud um, like it was funny just to make me feel better, okay? Would you, would you do that for me? Okay, so anyway, so this guy, he's, he finds out he's going to heaven, and so he keeps asking the Lord if he can bring one thing. And, and the Lord says to him, no, nobody can bring anything. You can't take it with you when you go. Uh, carrying nothing out, and uh, finally, he kept bugging the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, you can bring one thing. So anyway, so the man packs his suitcase with the one thing, and he gets to heaven, and he's got the suitcase, and the angels stop him, and they're like, hey, listen, security check, you can't bring anything in here, nothing in, just you. And he said, well, listen, Jesus gave me permission, I asked him, and so they said, we'll check. So they call on their walkie-talkie, and they had a, yeah, oh, he can bring one thing. So anyway, uh, he said, okay, but we got to check it. So he opened up the bag, and the angel looked in, and the guy's all excited, and the angel said, oh, it's just pavement. 
I told it a different way because I ruined the punchline in the first service. He brought a suitcase of gold. You guys get it now? The streets are made of gold in heaven. The streets in heaven are made of gold. I don't do, uh, I do better with spontaneous humor than I do with like written jokes. I've never been good with written jokes. I apologize. We'll, we'll do better, okay? I'll try to mix in substance for you here at the end of the service to make it all better. Uh, but there's this perspective <clears throat> that the body and this life are all there is. And there are actually people who live this way. Most people live this way. They think this is all there is. Let's live it up. If I'm just a, an accidental blob of mutated mass, I might as well just live it up. That's what people think, right? Why would they think that way? Because ideology has told them since the time they were born that they are just accidental blobs of mutated mass. And then they start asking questions like, well, where did I get emotions from? Why do I love? Why do I hate? Why can I draw? Why can I imagine things? Here's a tip, because you're not an accidentally blob of mutated mass. You were made on purpose by a creator who loves you. And, and so people get this perspective, though. But Paul wanted the Thessalonians to understand. And so he comes up with this thing in the letter, and he says, listen, I don't want you guys to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed about what happens when believers in Jesus physically die. So he said, listen, let's get the notions and the rumors out of the way. Uh, first of all, First off, when you die, that's not the end of your existence. Your soul will continue on. And those who reject Christ will exist apart from God forever. But they'll have no hope. And those who have received Christ will exist in the presence of God for all eternity. Uh, there's nothing to be sad about, is what he's telling them. Your loved ones who believe are currently with God. And yes, their bodies are buried, but they aren't in them anymore. Look at verse number 14. Now, this is kind of telling here. It says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, that's those who've died, will God bring with him. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. God can't bring people with him to a future event Unless they're already with him. Does this make sense? So for believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, when I was in college, I had this uh, cool professor that I really liked. And I liked him for a couple reasons. One, I liked him because he was even shorter than I am. Um, which, I don't know, there's some kind of camaraderie there. It's not like I don't like tall people. I just liked him because he was... Anyway... Um, if you're tall, I still like you. You're just kind of bitter. and it's... Anyway, um, but then I liked him for another reason. He told the best stories. And, and he was from Virginia, and he had this accent, this Virginia accent. So he'd be preaching along. He like, Abraham, Abraham, take your son to Mount Moriah. And he's got this accent. It's so cool to listen to him. I still hear him. Um, anyway, he used to tell this story about this kid uh, down in the south who went and got a job at a local mortuary. And the kid was a, a 
a black kid, and, and he was a teenager, and, and so they gave him the job to clean up in the mortuary. And so he'd go in every night and sweep up and mop, and, and he'd, he'd whistle and kind of sing and dance while he's working, mopping up. And so one night he's in the room of the mortuary where they keep the bodies. And he's, he's uh, dancing along and sweeping, and all of a sudden, rigor mortis caused one of the bodies to pop up into a sitting position. And his eyes got as big as saucers, and he took that broom and started whacking the body. He said, you dead, you stay dead. And I still hear Doug telling that story because uh, of his accent. But <laughs> Paul wanted the people in Thessalonica to understand that there's more than just the body. And then he talked about this next phrase, alive and remain. Alive and remain. Uh, according to God's word given to us in this passage, some generation of believers, could be us, is going to be alive on the earth when the timeline of future events begins. And these saints who are alive and remain will never go through the transition of physical death. They will never be asleep. It's never going to happen to them. And so some of the Thessalonians had been thinking their loved ones wouldn't get to taste glory if they died before the second coming. Then there were other ones uh, they knew that their loved ones would get resurrected at some point, but they were sure that their resurrected ones would have to go to the back of the line. Uh, the ones who are alive to see Jesus, they thought, will get the best seats of the big game. Right? And they thought, here's what happens. If you die before Jesus comes, yeah, you'll get resurrected eventually, but it'll be after all the good stuff happens. And so they're kind of worried about this. And Paul's writing to him. He's like, listen. You guys have to understand, uh, because a lot of them, they were hesitant to die. Imagine that, right? Have you ever known anybody who's hesitant to die? Isn't that crazy? So they were hesitant to die, even though they had received eternal life. And Paul, who had preached uh, in their city, according to Acts 17, about King Jesus coming to do his kingdom work on the earth, was helping them understand that those who die in Christ don't lose any opportunities. In fact, their old bodies will be resurrected first. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Say, how does that work? I don't know. The dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what I know. Right? But how's it going to work? The dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what I know. That's what God said in his word. And, and so whether your body is asleep or alive when the second coming begins, you will be equally blessed. There's no advantage to either group. Right? Uh, the people who die and are buried, their bodies are buried, they have the same opportunity as those who are still on the earth when Jesus comes. That's what Paul wanted them to know and what God wants us to know. Now, as a pastor, I uh, often <clears throat> am blessed to discuss with people many things, including end-of-life things. And sometimes they come in and to talk to me about it. They've got a folder, they've got a written notebook, and we talk about these things. 
And they ask me all sorts of questions. I mean, medical questions, uh, grave questions, like not grave like serious, but grave like the grave. Um, and they ask me about um, should you be buried? They ask me about cremation. They ask me about all these things. And normally one of the questions that always comes up is, if a body isn't buried in a casket, <clears throat> can it be resurrected in 1 Thessalonians 4? Like it says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. But they say, listen, what happens to people who are buried at sea? What happens to people who are cremated? Would their bodies still be resurrected? And so we have to go back and do a Bible study. And what I show them is this. In Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. When your physical body dies, it goes back to dust. The same God who took dust and turned it into 75 trillion cells that worked together the first time is powerful enough to do it the second time. And uh, so that's kind of the talk on that. But uh, so there's these people who are asleep in Jesus. Then there's these ones who are alive in Christ. Uh, then we get to this third part. The Lord himself shall descend. And uh, that's the phrase that we're going to study in this third part. The Lord himself shall descend. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus had promised his disciples, this is John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And Jesus will most certainly keep his promise. He will descend because he has ascended. Uh, what goes up will come down. No, I'm absolutely certain Jesus isn't boxed in by the law of gravity. Uh, he himself will descend with a shout, which is the command of the conquering king given out. The voice of the archangel will resound. And people will say, what's an archangel? Who's the archangel? Yeah, you can do a Bible study on it. I think it's Michael, uh, but it doesn't really matter if it's Michael or Gabriel or Daniel or Bob. It doesn't matter what his name is. It matters that Jesus is coming back, right? And the voice of the archangel is going to sound, and then the trump of God, the loudest instrument that has ever been played, will sound the signal. Just like the trumpet was used in the Old Testament to call the Jewish worshipers to an assembly, the trump of God will sound to call the saints to go marching in. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, here's this interesting thing about this passage. What this passage tells us is that those bodies uh, that were asleep, they've already physically died, they will get a split-second head start to go and reunite with their souls. So this is exciting stuff. Here's how it's described in 1 Corinthians 15. It's kind of a parallel passage. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. How many like mysteries? All right, so Paul's showing him a mystery. Okay, so put on your Sherlock hat for a second. He's going to show us a mystery. We shall not all sleep. What does that mean? It means some people aren't going to physically die before Jesus comes back. We shall not all sleep. And he thought, by the way, that he would be one of them. And so did Peter. And so did John. And so did every generation of Christians who's ever lived. 
And when you were a kid and you went to church and you first grasped this, your pastor probably told you, it could be today. By the way, it could be today. Right? Every generation says this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Did you like that? Did you see that? Did you catch that? It's like the preacher's pose. Did you guys know the preacher's pose? It's the Billy Sunday pose. They used to have, when I was in college, now they didn't have selfies back then. They didn't even have cell phones back then, but um, that's kind of telling, isn't it? Oh, wow. But they would have contests. They'd bring your camera, and they would do the preacher pose. You'd hold your Bible here and put the fiery wrath of God lightning hand here, and uh, people would take pictures of each other. Wow, that's a great pose. You look just like Billy Sunday. And some people stand like this, grow a beard. You look just like D.L. Moody. Uh, some people grab a cigar. You look like just Spurgeon. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, some of you know who Spurgeon is. Anybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? Okay, a few people. So you get that joke. Told you I would come up with something later. We still haven't got there, but we will. All right, it's going to happen. I just, I just for a second there thought of the preacher pose. I'm sorry. I distracted you. I'll show you a mystery. We'll sh we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's pretty fast. Blink your eyes. Is that pretty fast? That's fast. Right? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. So here's this trumpet again. For the trump of God shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The bodies that go to meet their souls will be changed into glorified bodies. And the bodies of those who are alive and remain will also be changed into glorified bodies. John said it this way. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And there are seven million questions you could ask about what are we going to wear? Are we going to have watches? Am I still going to have jewelry? Am I still going to wear cool shoes? <laughs> There's going to be millions of questions that you could ask. Could you just set the questions aside for a moment and get the whole glimpse of what this is? We shall be like him. Whether our bodies ever went in a grave or where they never went in a grave, will be like him. That's the crucial thing. Now, I want to continue that thought as we get to this last part. And so 1 Thessalonians 4, let's finish this up. <clears throat> Caught up together with them in the clouds. Caught up together with them in the clouds. Just to summarize this once again, bodies of believers from all ages will be resurrected at the same time that present saints are caught up to meet the Lord. Now that phrase, caught up, it's an interesting phrase in the English Bible. Uh, it actually comes from a Latin term. When the Greek Bible was first translated, it was tra translated into Latin. And in that verse, uh, they use the Latin word rapio, uh, which is caught up. Caught up, rapio, the same thing. And from that, many people use the English word rapture, which is never actually in the Bible, but that's where they get that term from. Now, I said at the outset today, if you want to get into the events and the timelines of all the future things, 
uh, there are a lot of great resources you can read or listen to. We've actually done a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation here, and we've got it on CD. Uh, But we don't have time to discuss the tribulation or the judgments or the millennium or the Armageddon this morning. Here's what Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know, Uh, which means it's what God wants us to know. Look again at the end of verse 17. It says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's pretty good stuff. Those who believe from all generations, before and up to this event, will ever be, that's always, in the presence of the Lord. And Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, listen, I know you guys have been worried about what happens to Christians after they die. No worries, folks. God wants you to know about his eternal comfort plan. And so today I'd like to finish up the message with some words of comfort given to us by God himself. Revelation chapter 21. And let's just read a little bit about what God says heaven will be like. Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So I guess if you wanted to go deep sea fishing, get it done early. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for his, her husband, uh, which... The symbolism there just means it's going to be B-E-A, beautiful, right? How many of you guys remember that moment when the door opened and the chord on the organ or the piano or the saxophone or whatever sounded, and all of a sudden there came your bride around the corner, right? How many of you guys, uh, how many of you almost fainted at your wedding, okay? How many got red cheeks? How many almost cried? How many did cry? How many don't remember any of it because you were so frightened? Okay. But you know this. And by the way, the same four guys raised their hand on all of those. So, uh, so here she comes. Uh, don't, 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 don't. And uh, he looks back there and uh, he sees his bride. And she's adorned for her husband. And she's standing there and she looks back at him with this twinkle in her eye, and wow, what a special time that is. That's your first glimpse of heaven. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. It's never happened before. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Flip the page, look at chapter 22. It gets gooder and gooder. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, 
was there the tree of life, which bared 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. That's going to be cool, right? Uh, you go one month and get one fruit. The next month you get another fruit. That's incredible. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Hallelujah for that. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and then forever after that. That's pretty exciting stuff. You've got to just admit that this is about as exciting as it gets. Unless, of course, you're wrapped up in the here and now and you've started to buy into the fact that this is all there is and you're saving up everything for here and you're living everything for here. But if you're looking toward there, that's good stuff. I mean, I may even amen myself. It may happen if you guys don't get more pumped up about this. So, now, if you have received Jesus, these words of comfort are for you. But if you haven't, these words of comfort don't apply to you. And I know that, especially in American culture, it is common practice when somebody dies for people who have no regard for God, they don't love him, they don't care for him, they've never accepted him, but they say, I'm going to see him again. He's going to a better place. He's earned his spot in heaven. And I just have to be blunt and tell you that none of those things are grounded in Scripture. If you want to have the hope of eternal life, there is one way to get it, according to God. That is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the hope of the second coming is only for those who believed. If that doesn't include you, here's my question. Why not? What is stopping you from believing in Jesus and receiving his gift of eternal life? What's stopping you from turning from your way to God's way? God loves you. He doesn't want anybody to spend eternity without him. Jesus died for your sins on the cross, and there's absolutely no reason for you to go and pay for eternity for sins that have already been paid. Some of you may remember this. <clears throat> uh, some of you are as old as me or maybe a little younger than me. Uh, 20 years ago, about, there was a professional golfer named Payne Stewart. <clears throat> and everybody liked Payne Stewart because he wore uh, knickerbockers at the golf tournaments. So the short pants right here, and he wore like the European hat, and he always wore these cool socks. <clears throat> and uh, he won the Masters uh, one year over Phil Mickelson, I think, or the, I don't remember when it was. Uh, but anyway, uh, Payne Stewart in 1999 in October, he lived in Orlando, and a tournament finished up, and on Monday morning, his Learjet took off from Orlando, and it appears the pilot and the co-pilot were unconscious, uh, unconscious early during the flight, and the air traffic controllers kept trying to communicate with him. They couldn't get anybody on the plane, 
Uh, and so two Air Force jets were set up to investigate. And as they pulled alongside uh, the jet, they couldn't see any movement in the cockpit. All they could see was the windows were fogged up. And it appears somehow that the cabin lost pressure and allowed cold air from the stratosphere into the plane. And, it, and so the plane now had people on it who were already unconscious. And the plane flew like that on autopilot for four more hours, just veering straight up into the middle of the continent until it ran out of fuel and plunged to the earth in South Dakota. And I remember uh, that week, I was actually at a teacher's conference in Portland, and we were supposed to go to this meeting uh, at the uh, Rose Garden or whatever it was called back then, and, uh, and we decided, you know what, we're skipping the meeting because we want to watch the funeral. And we watched the funeral on CNN or whatever was on back then. Uh, but one of the pilots who flew alongside the plane, here's what he wrote. It's so profound. He said, it's a very helpless feeling to pull alongside another aircraft and realize the people inside that aircraft are unconscious or in some other way incapacitated. And there's nothing I can do physically from my aircraft. Even though I'm 50 to 100 feet away, there's nothing I can do at all to help them. Now this morning, I want you to picture the lost people around you as a runaway airplane with nothing to stop them from plunging into hell unless you share the gospel with them. See, God does want us to have the comfort of the second coming. He does. He put it in his word. But he's also given us the opportunity to share that comfort with others before it's too late. The second coming calls us to do something and not just to rest in our hope. Did you know that God could have designed it this way? The moment you become a Christian and have new life, your soul and your spirit could have immediately gone to be with the Lord. Like, whoa! God could have done it that way. But he left us on the earth after salvation. Now, why is that? So we can buy a Corvette? So we can go and get more stuff at Walmart? So we can go on more vacations? No, God left us on the earth so that we could be light to those in darkness. And the second coming is not just for our comfort. It's there to give us our commission and to help us understand that if we don't go to the helpless people around us and share faith, that they may helplessly plunge into hell. And so this message, yeah, it's great news. First Thessalonians 4, read it again and again and again. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know about it. We're supposed to comfort each other with these words. Well, can I caution you not to get so wrapped up in your own comfort that you forget the reason why you've been left on the earth? So there are people with all different situations as we finish up this message today. Let me pray with you and see what God wants to do in our lives. God,